Hey everybody, this is Fight Talk and this is Steven Jensen. This is part two of my interview with Scotty Riggs. Scotty Riggs is a former professional wrestler for ECW and WCW. And you can find part one of this interview on iTunes under this feed as well. So enjoy part two of my conversation with Scotty Riggs. When you left WCW, that was around 1999, 2000, something, something like that. And went over to ECW as Scotty Anton. Are you friends with Rob Van Dam, like, outside of wrestling? That son of a bitch? Heck no. Oh, okay. I I was not just friends with him. We were actually best friends. Okay, gotcha. For good. I'm saying that just for the fun of it. Okay, okay. I was about to say, how much heat am I about to get for asking this? (laughs) Okay. We had met. My first wrestling match was February 6th. Uh, 1992. And the guy who trained me was Ted Allen. He wrestled by the Nightmare. He helped train Art Anderson, Big Boss Man, the referee Randy Anderson, and Ranger Ross, or some of the names that he had worked with. But um, I started working a bunch of shows that Ted took me around to. I got me Ben Masters, was in uh, Cordell, Georgia, and and used to always get a lot of big names and stuff like that to come in to his town. He paid them well. Had a good following, right? Once a month. You know, he, at the time, he got Dick Snake against uh, uh, Ronnie Garvin and Katniss Jack against Abdullah Butcher on the same show. Wow. And, and this is in 93, 94-ish. So think about the crowd that would draw at the time. Huge crowd. So, I mean, he had like over a thousand people stuffed in this arena that mainly was supposed to probably hold more than 800. That was the kind of pool that, that Ben had there. But he had Rob on the show. And me and Rob actually struck up a conversation, told Rob where I was living. Rob was actually living in Savannah, which is my hometown. I was living in Atlanta. And the guy who was booking uh, Rob on some shows and stuff and was running towns was Greg Price. Greg Price does the uh, NW Legends thing in Charlotte for the past decade. And so basically, Greg sort of booked me on a couple of his shows. And me and Ross started traveling together, got to know each other, smoked a bunch of weed together, hung out together. I would come down to Savannah to see him. He'd go up to Atlanta to see me. We just became friends. We would get stoned and go, don't do drugs, but you schools together back in the 90s. Right. And that's how much fun we had. Really got to know each other. Um, I mean, we had the phone game back then when, when you had a, uh, a actual answering machine on your phone. Yeah. And he would call up and leave a message. Like, I'd either be there or I wouldn't be. He'd call up and go, or I'd call him. It'd be one of us two to the other. Hey, Scotty. Or I'd be going, hey, Rob, it's Scotty. Just want to give me a quick, are you there? Rob, are you there? I can hear you breathing. He's, well, maybe you're not there. But just want to Hey, wait a minute. I heard the door close. Are you there? You're just not answering. Well, dang, dang it. I had one thing I had to tell you. And that, well, this is, and, and that would be it. It'd be like, you know, or he'd call me up and go, and we'd be talking. And he'd go, hey, Scotty, the one last thing I got to remind you is, and this is about Greg Schoenberg. We talk about a show cover. So he goes, 
Well, there's one last thing I gotta remind you about. And he'd hang up. <laughs> and that would be the, the phone tricks we'd play with each other. We'd call each other two, three times, trying to catch each other. If you answer, you'd hang up. But of course you knew it was them. You didn't start 69, which is what the thing was back then, and they'd call you back. Right. So, we used to have that much fun way back then. And, and Rob was one of the, when I left WCW, they had offered me a, uh, when Bischoff left, Russo came in, Bill Bush was hired to replace Bischoff, and Bill Bush was an accountant. They were trying to get the spending, you know, uh, last of then, because when I signed my first contract there in 95, I was number 47 on the roster, and I was the 47th person to have a contract. In 1999, when I left, there was 207 people under contract. 207 people. It quadrupled in people that they had under contract in a three-year span. And half those people never even wrestled. They were just getting paychecks so they wouldn't have to run, so they couldn't go to work for, uh, for Vince. Right. They were signing everybody and anybody that had some talent or a name just so they couldn't go wrestle for Vince. But, um, they, so they brought in Bill Bush, and Bill Bush was cutting everybody left and right. My contract was up for renewal, but I was scheduled to get a raise if I renewed my contract and, and, and negotiate my contract, and they didn't want to do the raise part of it. Mm. And so basically, it was, they actually wanted to, you know, put me on a nightly deal. They're like, we got, we're making all these cuts, we're doing all this stuff, this, that, and the other. A lot of guys are getting cut. A lot of guys want to maybe we want to keep people. We want to keep on a nightly deal. I said no. I'm not going from uh, the past couple of years. You know, I've been here for four years now, four plus years basically, all under a, a, a guaranteed six for your contract. And now you're going to cut me down to a, a nightly deal where you don't have to work me but a couple times a month. I ain't making dick. I can't work for anybody else. No. And by that time was when uh, ECW had actually come and run center stage or WCW used to do their Saturday night tapings. And I just went to the show to see everybody. You know, it was kind of going through stuff with them. And I talked to Rob, talked to Paul Heyman, and talked to Tommy Dreamer about what was going on. And it was right after that when I got to talk to JJ, figured out that I was not going to resign. So I called up Heyman and let him know what was going on. And that's when they offered me a deal to come to ECW. And so basically it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be happy to leave WCW because it's becoming a, a worse place to work than you can think of. I mean, it was miserable, miserable there. Now was the, uh, was the, now as far as working for ECW afterwards uh, for Paul Heyman, uh, was that a much better experience? Because I know you hear the stories of both locker rooms being pretty wild as far as the boys go, but was were things in any better order kind of creatively? Or at least you knew who the boss was, I guess, in ECW, right? Well, in, in ECW, and I give Paul Heyman a million times credit for this, when I when the first shows I came into, I mean, the locker room, number one, from Steve Carino to Cena Bannister, Dreamer, Justin 
me like I was part of the family. And Tommy Dreamer actually wanted me to be like uh, part of the Dangerous Alliance that they had. Oh, okay. But really dangerously and be like the Rick Rude. Gotcha. Um, Paul Heyman, I guess, Paul had talked to, to Rob, you know, RVD, and said, you know, they had come up with a different plan of what they wanted to do. That was me being, just me and Robert really with your friends to do a deal and play off of Rob's, you know, plus he had already, he just hurt his leg. So he needed somebody to kind of be with him in a sense to kind of throw a story off of him getting, to get back into the ring and where I could come in as his friend and be his, be his, be his friend, be his pal with him while he's finally getting over his injury and then to turn on him. And this is where, this is what we do to him. I give Paul a million times credit. Paul sat down with me at one of the first TVs I was at and said, hey, this is what I want to do with you. You're in the ring. You can do anything and everything you want in the ring. Got no problem with that. These are really nailed down the character for you. Persona, what was the American males thing? That clap, that hand clap. How over was it, but also how abrasive was it? I'm like, yeah. He goes, Biscotti, the clap. I completely, My first thought was, yeah. Biscotti, fucking kidding me. Right. The clap. My first thought was STD. Was, you know, all the other garbage that went with it, the clap. I'm going, my mind's going, no way. But Paul was all excited about it. Paul's like, dude, dude, just believe me, this will work. Because it'll give you something that they already identify you with. They already identify you with the American males to the clap. It can be something that they can get with you with. And then when you turn, and he goes, for the first few months, you're going to be Rob's best friend. Then you're going to turn on Rob. We're going to do a pay-per-view you against Rob. Then we're going to do this when you join the network that we're working on. And he laid everything out for about six months. I swear to God, everything like he told me happened. So there was a plan. Almost to a T. There were tweaks here and there. There were things that happened a little bit differently. But almost to a T of what he had planned happened. And this is ECW, not WCW, the big dollar company I was running. That Ted Turner's money's financed. That was a clusterfuck. This was ECW, where the entire locker room worked together. Because they all knew if they all worked well, if they all worked, worked good together, and all make money. The houses would be good. The TVs would be good. The attitudes would be good. The rumor mills would be good. The gossip about the company would be good. Everything that would, you know, every information you hear about the company, fans that hear about it, they want to come and see it, and they want to be a part of it. And that's what happened. That's why if I ever ran a wrestling company, I would have Paul Heyman do every ounce of the wrestling side of it. Because he's, he is so great with character development and everything else, and, 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 and controlling the locker room and making everybody believe. And Eric Bischoff, I let you do the business part of it. I would have let during the wrestling. Because he can sit down with big wigs and talk them into giving him money. That's what he did in WCW. Because he can do the business part of it, but he really just can't control the wrestling part. Because everybody controls him to the wrestling part of it. But Heyman knew how to get the best out of you when it came to the wrestling part of it. Avery, you know, I can still remember after the pay-per-view with, with Rob, I wrestled him 
in the Hammerstein Ballroom uh, the second night of, of, of back-to-back nights. We ran the, the, the ballroom on Friday, did the attack tournament. Uh, me and Carino was supposed to be in that, but some of to put just with Paul said, no, I want Justin Rhino in it to represent the network. And me and Steve were actually mad because we were a pretty good tag team. And we thought we should have had a tag team straps. We almost, almost talked Paul into it. But he wanted to go with, uh, whoever, I can't remember who else he really wanted. I think it was Rob and, and Keith Cash. I can't remember. I don't, I don't think so. But, but they wanted to do something different. But, um, but, uh, but that next night, it was me against Rob at the main Diamond Star Ballroom. This is New York City, an ECW crowd. Oh, yeah. That pissed off 1999, you know, year 2000 now, but it was that hardcore fan base. No no such thing as a casual viewer. This was the, this is New York City. This was their life, their lifeline, their blood. That little clap song that, that Paul had written for me, that music cranks up. You hear it, Paul's in the grill position. I'm right by the curtain, getting ready to get my cue to go out. I glance out the curtain, looked at Paul, and he standing around and said, Paul, look. He looked out the curtain, come back at me with this big Cheshire grin cat, you know, Cheshire cat, grin on his face. His eyes squinty, and it's just this big, huge smile on his face. He goes, I told you, 80% of the New York City ECW crowd was doing the clap. Oh, man. Awesome. Swear to God, they were doing I could not believe it. I mean, I had goosebumps. Oh, my God. It's a hardcore crowd doing the clap. He goes, I told you that would get over. He goes, imagine what's going to happen when I turn you baby face. Unfortunately, I got hurt that night. Cracked three ribs, first and Rob, in the first part of the match. It was out for six weeks, almost eight weeks. Where they healed up properly and I could wrestle again and by the time the company had closed. Now, was that was that the match where you took the, the Van Terminator, like the coast to coast with the with the no, chair in your face? That was the heat wave pay per view I took that. Okay, gotcha. Uh, a few weeks before that, maybe about three weeks before that, I took it in Kansas City and you broke my nose. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Ouch. So, uh, so I did a mock with my forearm, not just my hands, <laughs> basically. Now, now, aside from something like that, was, was RVD a guy you generally, you liked working with considering he was a friend of yours? Like, in the ring, was it usually not quite as, as violent like that, or? Oh, oh, dude, everybody, for some reason, hated working with him. Not hated, but you had to go in there working with him, like, his, when he kicked your foot and step over here and kicked you with a heel kick. Everybody complained about it. I never did. I mean, uh, again, I had tagged and wrestled Rob in the early 90s when we were both green and used to beat the piss out of each other for the fun of it. You know, because we were both still working. Then, by 2000, when we were wrestling each other, we just, I trusted him. He trusted me. We did the bulldog spot to the guardrail when I bulldogged him. We were on the apron. I jump over the rail and bulldog him into the guardrail. He'd been his tongue at the pay-per-view. But it was, you know, it was part of it. Uh, I didn't mean to do it. You know, he he, he broke on my nose two out of three times it's been broken. He bruised some ribs. You know, I split his tongue open, split his eye open. I mean, the thing was is we did stuff and 
we trusted each other. We knew we weren't going out and touring each other. Accidents happen. Sure. Some guys didn't like with them. I loved working with them. I had to keep up. You know, sometimes it's hard to keep up with them because he was that damn good. But, you know, I never uh, had a complaint working with them. I loved working with them. Okay, good deal. I got the same question about, uh, did with like Jerry, a guy like Jerry Lynn, any opinion on him? Jerry Lynn, there's a weird story to it. He was actually my roommate for about a year. Oh, he was okay. in, w, in WCW. He come down, I think, from uh, you know, Minneapolis or he was in Tennessee, wherever, to me, he signed a deal. And then a TV tape that we actually just took up a conversation. And he was looking for a place to stay. While he was looking for a place to stay, and I said, dude, I got a futon. We had futons. And I had a futon as a couch back then. Can you sit on a futon? And it's, a, it's a couch that folds out to a bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a hiding bed. Do you know what a futon is? Yeah, yes, I do. It's a little bit before your time. No, 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 I, I got you. I'm trying to make fun of you. <laughs> I follow you, man, I follow you. But, um, but we ended up being those good friends who became roommates when we got a two-bedroom apartment and we were roommates for about a year. But uh, I wrestled him in one match, um, Curry, and he had gotten so talented, so good, so quick that I couldn't keep up with him. He was too good for me to wrestle, unfortunately. And I screwed up a couple of spots in, in the match and about took his head off of one of them. And because, you know, there's some guys that just get to, you got to work with them a couple of times to get to the flow of it. And unfortunately, we got to work each other once, and we just never got the flow of the match. We wrestled each other once in WCW when we both had a little bit slower pace. But when he got in ECW with Rob, he could go, he was like, he was like on the Autobahn in Germany. We'd go 150 miles an hour and not get, and not get passed, not get pulled over. And maybe have one car to keep up with you. He was that good. Both of them were. Rob was a. Well, Rob was the effort show, and Jerry was the new effort show. And that was a pretty much a shoot uh, description of the two of them. Sure. They were that damn good then. Yeah, I remember. I remember those the the feud that they had, um, and th- they were like incapable of having a bad match. It was always. Well, okay. Since you know, here here here's a question for you. Okay. A trivia question. Who caused Rob to lose his first match? Oh, that was you. Yeah, you threw him off the uh, off the turnbuckles. Yeah. Well, yeah. I say, if you follow the thing, uh, here, here's how, how invested Rob was in me turning heel and being in on him. He hasn't lost a match in two years right. with the company. Have lost to Jerry Lynn ever in the company. Who did he bestow that 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 gift upon? Well, it was Lynn? Lynn got the win, but you caused the. Uh, it was I. I can't. Well, well yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Right. But, but it was me. This was a, this was Robinson's passing the torch to me, and being the person who made that happen. You know. Right. <laughs> that's because he had faith in me being able to do it. You know, pull the gimmick off. So Rob blessed me. That ability, that 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 uh, I won't call it ability, but he gave me that mark in history, that benchmark of being the one person caused him to lose a match in two years in 
hell of an honor. To me, to me, to me exactly. To me, that was, that was a lot of respect he gave me and a lot of honor he gave me. I follow you on Twitter. Obviously, this is that's how we have been able to link up like this. Um, do you? I know you you follow the business, but are you, are you more of just kind of a casual kind of see it when you see it, or are you still following any of these companies like pretty regularly? Um, dude, I'm a, I'm a wrestling fan. I was a wrestling fan growing up. Uh, I got to live the dream of being a wrestler. And I'm a wrestling fan now. I'm not, I've never drank the Kool-Aid of a company. You know, there's some people out there that if you don't watch WWE, is all they watch. You know, if you watch TNA, they suck. Or if you watch, you know, the other groups, they suck. You know, but I like watching, you know. The reason I didn't call you right, right away, um, after you shot me that message, was I was watching the end of uh, Impact. Oh, okay. I was watching I was watching uh, uh, Bobby Lashley win three titles. He's got three belts now. So I was invested in watching their show. So I like watching their stuff. I'll watch for all my days. I'll watch, I'll catch SmackDown Tuesday. I'll tweet about it. I'll tweet about, you know, um, if I catch something good, I'll tweet about, you know, impact. I like catching uh, New Japan on Fridays. I love New Japan wrestling. Dude, to me, they have probably the best wrestling out there. Um, I still pop on, uh, I guess it was two weeks ago when Cena cut the big promo on AJ Styles yep. and said that, you know, if you if, if you're if you don't work out here, you can go somewhere else. I got nowhere else to go. You know, he pulled on his uh, company man, his uh, with, um, Richard Gere, of a certain gentleman, I've got nowhere else to go. <laughs> I've got nowhere else to go. Since he's right, because he couldn't go anywhere else, his style wouldn't work right. anywhere else. You know, so because he's been WWE for 15 plus years, you know, he might be able to go work somewhere, but it'd take him forever to get to learn the, the ability to wrestle somewhere else. AJ Styles can wrestle anywhere else he wants to. He can, he can pick up a go because he can. That's why I love the new fan wrestling because, dude, if you ever want to or something, Oh yeah, it's it's my uh, it's my favorite company to watch currently. I, I'm actually subscribed to the New Japan World, so I, I try to keep up as much as I can. The the time difference makes it difficult sometimes, yeah. but I would say, I mean, you're totally right. I mean, it, it, to put John Cena in the ring with a guy like an Okada or you know an Ishi or someone, it just it just isn't going to work. And I mean, I mean, John's John's got better over the past few years. Can't doubt it. But one of the reasons why he hasn't picked his game up so much over the past few years is. Gentlemen, I mean, wrestlers like Owens and Cesaro and those guys have come in, and they've made John have to get better. Yes. To be able to compete with them. AJ Styles makes Roman Reigns, makes uh, Cena, makes anybody he gets through with because Styles has gone off and perfected his craft. He can get in the ring with anybody, anytime, any place. You know, anywhere. It's like Flair used to. And Flair, this is my vision of what wrestling should be. The world champion Flair could wrestle, you know, Tommy Rich in Georgia, so-and-so, Devon Eriks in Texas, somebody, in, you know, uh, in Oregon, some, you know, Bill Watts in, in Oklahoma, somebody in the Philadelphia area that go to New Zealand and wrestle somebody. That, but wrestle a different person every night and have great matches. WWE runs 
Absolutely. So that's making the WWE wrestlers so much better now because they have to actually stand on their abilities. They can't follow the same pattern, the same rhythms they had before. That's why the fans, I think, have gotten so obnoxious in today's in today's business. They've gotten so obnoxious to it, and they can chant, "You can't wrestle," boring or whatever the stuff that they did in front of Daniel Song. The guys that even wrestling, they get into it because they're 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 like making themselves part of the show because they're not excited about seeing what they see. They come to the show, you're getting seventy thousand people or a hundred thousand people who are claiming the last WrestleMania, not for the matches. They're coming for the event. They're coming for the WrestleMania. They're not coming to see the matches. Yeah, definitely. And plus, they're drawing from all over the world. It's like uh, Flair and, and uh, Flair Russell Perry in the 80s, I think it was, 30 years ago. When Flair Russell Perry in the 80s, they drew 40,000 people for the first time at the uh, Texas Stadium where Dallas Cowboys played. And that was just from Texas, 40,000 people. 30 years later, they drew 100,000 people from all over the world to claim that record. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. When you're, when you're, trying, when you're just drawing numbers, 40,000 people from Texas came to see Flair wrestle uh, Kerry Long Eric and hoping that Curry could win the title in honor of his brother David who died in Japan back in the 80s. can't remember what the car was called. It was the Rose of Texas or whatever it was. And they drew 40,000 people just from Texas. Then this last WrestleMania 31 or 32, whatever it was, they drew 100,000 people from all over the world just to WrestleMania. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about it like that. But if you look at the numbers, you look at the, the way they view it and everything else, you've got 100,000 from all over the world to come to an event, a show, a 
Never, I've never, never thought about that. someone like um we were talking about AJ Styles earlier who I loved his work when he was in TNA but then when he went to New Japan it was like he kicked into a completely different gear now now he was working in front of that crowd and his style changed uh his gimmick definitely changed and I think it it really led him into you know becoming the performer that he is now in in the WWE like like you were saying you know these guys that you had mentioned um I'm with you all the way on John Cena by the way I he was one of those guys I watched him I've watched him his whole career, and it took until about the last year or so 
for me to finally warm up to him because he had to step his game up and have those great series of matches with the guys like you name, like Cesaro, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, uh, AJ Styles, so on and so forth. Um, are there any other guys that, that you see nowadays that, that you really uh, think have some bright futures in, in any company? Oh, uh, dude, I dig Finn Balor big time. Me too. Um, I think that, guy, that guy's got a uh, rocket ship to his ass, and he's going to shoot to the moon. Uh, Rollins is great. I don't get the I don't get the Dean Ambrose thing, but to me, he's Roddy Piper except with the world title. Gotcha. One of the first time I saw him do that thing where he fell into the ropes and came back with the clothesline, it was great. Now you see him do it every match, and it's like, okay. You know, just because it worked once doesn't mean you have to use it every time in the same position, you know. And that's the only thing that that I can, when you watch, like, and this is where I'm jaded, because I always, we did our matches, we always played our matches out. We did it when we felt like we we listened to the crowd, to the crowd, even on TV matches, to get a feel of when to fight, when to stop, when to go, when, when to slow down. We kind of, you know, you get a vibe about, you get a feel for how you're supposed to do things. You let you you let the crowd react to what you're doing. Even the crowd at home, you gotta let them sit back and react. A lot of the WWE matches go by so fast and so quick. Because they're under TV time constraints. And, you know, they got eight minutes to get something in. And they're bang, 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 and nothing means anything. Every now and then, like, I remember a few months ago when Ziggler wrestled Triple H in a main event match. Ziggler won. He got he got the WrestleMania or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they had a match that told a complete story. There is nothing rushed. Everything made sense, and the crowd adored it. They respected it. They 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 didn't do their their hokey chants. They watched in awe of what they were watching, and that's what it's supposed to be. To control the crowd, the crowd is supposed to control you. What do you think about a guy like Ziggler, um, who he just kind of like his push always kind of gets stopped and and started and stopped and started. And now they're going with him. You know, going for the world title against Ambrose. Are you are you a fan of Ziggler's as well? I mean, the guy's got a, a pretty yeah, I, damn great I love work Ziggler's rate. Work. I, I love his work. I think he should have been pushed a lot better. He should, he should be on top of his game right now. But unfortunately, it's the nature of WWE beast. If they don't, you, you can be the top of your game there, but if they don't give you a certain way, you're going to get so far. And they always talk about grabbing the brass ring. Dude, he's grabbed the brass ring a long time ago. And you can, be, you can be a fan sitting back watching, seeing the reaction he gets, seeing how hard he works. Maybe he works too hard. I don't know. That, I mean, because I'm not there to actually see how people are responding to him in the back. But you you got to realize, for some reason, you know, I've heard their, their guys say before, wins and losses don't matter because they're just a TV show. But no, wins and losses do matter. All these losses that Zigger had over the past few months, they, that, that their, their guys are going, it don't matter. It doesn't matter because right now the fans know that he ain't going to win. It's, it's like going into the pay view. You want a shadow of a doubt of who can win. There's an inkling of a doubt whether Finn Balor might beat Rollins because they just don't know. But the fans doubt that, that Balor's going to win. 
push him. Right. He's not going to do it. And they're going to be him because they know it's not because they see him get beat so bad so often that the fans know they're not going to trust the belt to him. So the fans really don't care. They're not invested in it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The, the way that he was booked. Because wins and losses do matter in wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. With especially a guy like Ziggler, like you mentioned, I mean, the last few months, um, just kind of just looking back, just the last couple months, I guess he had like that on again, off again feud with Tyler Breeze. He was winning some, losing some. Yeah. Uh, lost to Baron Corbin, I think, almost every time they wrestled, and now he's going after the world title, kind of just out of nowhere. Makes no sense. And, I mean, I also what he did with uh, with uh, Wade Barrett. Yeah. He was one guy that, that should have been, he had the talent, he had the voice, he had the charisma, had everything to go along with it, until he lost to Cena at that one match when he was with Nexus. Yeah, oh, that was the worst booking call uh, in, in a long while, them, them that, losing that. that. Yeah. That was it. The same thing with Damian Sandow. Mm-hmm. A young kid could have been on the, you know, could have been one of the top drawings right now. Crowd was with him. Everything he's done, the crowd's with him. He wrestled a one-armed Cena, lost to him, and it was never the same since. Because the crowd went, wow, if you can't beat him, no matter what, it's Super Cena. <clears throat> I hate to use that term, but that's what everybody said. Mm-hmm. If he can't beat him at, when he's that beaten down, they know he can't beat him at any other time either. Right. So you train the fans. They say wins and losses don't matter. We're a TV show. No wins and losses do matter because if the guy's winning, he'll put the asses in the seats to see if he can keep winning. If the guy's losing, they're not gonna, you're not going to put an ass in the seat to see if you can finally win one. Well, that's something I've always, you know, I, I dislike about the way WWE books their shows. Is It seems like so many guys, aside from a, a small few, they do all that. It's like 50-50 booking. So... You know, instead of just, like, getting completely behind a guy and just, like, giving him a push and, and really seeing what he can do, the next thing you know, he's lost. He's won one. He's lost one. He's won two. He's lost two. A guy like Kevin Owens, for instance, who I think, um, for my money, is, is the best heel in the business right now. And and it's like the guy comes in and he beats John Cena clean, and then he loses the next two. And you're just like, well, there there was a, you had a big chance here with this guy, and you still do. But you just see those kind of things happen over and over. And and it gets frustrating when it's so often that it's John Cena is the guy who, who stops the push, which just puts even more unwanted heat on John Cena. Hey, from the- whether it's his call or not, it, it, still, you know, it, it still puts a lot of heat on him. It's either do or undo. I'm not there, so I don't know to say whether the heat should be on Cena for who wins and loses or how things go. I'm not there to say that, but, but when you look at it, in an all-encompassed view, as a fan, as a guy who wrestled in WCW back when, there were a bunch of guys that were called Vanilla Midgets. Yeah, yep. That ended up leaving the company, and they all became world champions, and Drew Houses, and, and sold out WrestleManias, and have big, huge moments, you know, that you know, our company had no clue to deal with, whether it was Jericho, Guerrero, Benoit, uh, Malenko, all those guys that they that WCW thought were no good. Go ahead, if you want to go, go ahead and go. And they made them stars. Yeah, some of the best workers you ever. Know, you sit back and go. I mean, I witnessed it with 
those guys, with, with guys keeping them, you know people down, they'll raise to a certain to a certain distance, but they're not on our level. We can't wrestle them. And then when the time decided to wrestle them, it was too late. We could try to do the new blood versus whatever. Yeah, Millionaires Club. Yeah, yeah. When they tried to do that, it was too late. It was like, oh, now you got an idea of it. It ain't gonna work because you guys are really. It ain't gonna work. It just ain't gonna work. It doesn't done it too much. So it's 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 the nature of of certain people's mentalities. And so you just gotta sit back and go. Daniel Bryan was the most over organically desired, wanted crowd. I mean, just they yearned for it. And they almost didn't get it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he spent his time building it up. You know, he went and had his ups and downs, his 18-second loss, everything else. And so some of the stuff you do takes time to make it work, to make it happen. The Rock didn't happen naturally. Stone Cold didn't happen naturally. They had an organic feel to them. By the time they built up their, their personas, their it factors, their, their connection with the crowd, but unfortunately, nowadays, it's, it's so TV-oriented that they have a vision of what they want their guy to be, to what their champion to look like. And if you fit that mold, it works. Ziggler, for some reason, no matter his abilities, no matter how his uh, connection is with the crowd, for some reason, that office just doesn't do him the next level. Right. But where is he going to go? And this is the bad thing about not actually having competition. Where is he going to go to make the same money he's making right now? I, I don't think there's anywhere to go. There, there is nowhere. He can't really go to Japan because they can't pay him the money he's making. He can't go to England. can't go to Germany. can't go to Mexico. There's another company in the States. So he's got to stay there and stay in that position. Do they finally go, okay, um, three years from now, well, it's a government, right? That's the lucky future numbers. Unfortunately, that's, that's, that's the nature of the beast right now because there's nobody else that can really sit back and compare financially what they can do for you. And you either take the role they give you or you do what Cody Rhodes has done. Right. And Cody Rhodes, he's got the name, he's got the talent. He's still young, and I think he's going to make more of a... He made more of a splash to what he's doing now. He probably won't make quite as much money in the short term, but the long term is going to pay off for him. Yeah, well, and I don't know with uh, with Rhodes, because he's going to be doing the uh, the TV thing, too, with, with Arrow. So he's got more than just wrestling going on. That's I, what I'm saying. Right. And short term right now... You know, you know, it's it's there's gonna be things that are gonna be a little bit here, a little bit there, but everything's building for him. So he's young enough that he can go do what he wants and, and establish himself, just like AJ Styles. The one thing I'm glad they didn't do with him is like bring him in and, and just not call him AJ Styles, but just call him the phenomenal one, you know, or something like that, and make him go by some other moniker like they've done with other guys. Right. You know, like RVD when he came in, they, they couldn't change him. They had, he had to be RVD because he already had that established character. Um, Dom Dallas Page was, that, you know, he was an established persona, 
but they made him become positively page. Right, and a stalker before that, right. And the stalker, you know, they made him change who he was. Goldberg was there for a short period of time, but they didn't really change him. There's some guys that they brought in there that, that they, they changed a little bit here and there. But there's some guys that you, you can't change. Doc Gallows has been three different personas over there, unfortunately. I'm glad that they didn't really change him. The, the, the goofiest thing is, is they, they changed, uh, they couldn't call him the Bullet Club, so they called the club. Right. At least they're not dumb enough to deny that stuff didn't exist. Yeah, what, that's a big change for the WWE, that they're even acknowledging this kind of stuff well, nowadays. in this world we live in now, unfortunately, or fortunately, I think for the guys, in the world we live in now, if you've established yourself or something, with all the social media and everything else, you can't change somebody because the people will sit back and go, what the hell are you doing? We already know who this guy is. They won't, the fans won't buy it. You know, Tim Ballard, they did change his name. You know, he changed it to something that actually fit him and suited him. Right. So that works. Samoa Joe, they're not making him change his name because every world knows a Samoa Joe. You can't make him into, uh, uh, what was that one guy that passed away? Uh, the fuck you guy. Oh, Umaga. Yeah, I can't make an Umaga out of him because they already know who he is. I mean, when they took uh, Matt Blue, yep. they made him 10 times. When he was, you know, Big Brutes or whatever. I can't remember what I was Prince saying. Albert, yeah. A-Train, yeah. Yeah, when he was that character in WWE, so if they would have brought him back, I mean, the same type of persona, but just going to be the American guy from Japan, not make him a Japanese guy. He was, he's, not a, he's not a Japanese guy. No. Don't give him a Japanese name. Well, and they had him wearing the, like the fake tattoos on his face and That's the whole the thing. thing. Yeah. Don't make him a Japanese guy. He's an American. People know who he is. That's one reason why he, he they shit up when he came in, and that's the shame of the business. But today's business with so much social media, it's so much more access to other wrestling now. You get you can play wrestling in the states. They can't deny. You know, like Mario Ronaldo. Yeah. As the announcer. He's, he's probably one of the best announcers in the business. He's great. Not only does he do wrestling, he did New Japan wrestling, he's done boxing, he's done MMA, he did the, uh, the wrestling back in the 80s, 90s in Calgary. So he's well-versed in calling action. He's like Gordon Soley. He makes you believe into the sport of wrestling. And I'm so glad they didn't make him change his name. Yeah, I remember back in the day when, uh, geez, it was WWE. They they had made uh, Michael Hayes and a Doc Hendricks for some, like yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, they, what, what they do a lot of times is, and I understand it business wise, but you also got to understand it, you know, uh, when it comes down to the real business, they want to they want to be able to market stuff, so they want to own the name. Right. Own the likeness. So that's you know, I mean, Carl Anderson is not Carl Anderson's real name, but he's using that. But he owns the rights to it himself. So they went with Carl Anderson because that's what everybody already knows him as. And Doc Gallows already knows him as, as Doc Gallows. So they kept those names of those guys. They can't. There's certain things they just can't change anymore like they used to because they don't. They, they have their own bubble, but 
like trying to make force everybody into their bubble because they're trying to draw out and try to draw some of the New Japan crowd that in the states that watch them over there and they see him in, in, in WWE and they go, hey, there's the guys you watched over there. So they start watching them. We bring the other guys. They see uh, Moose and uh, TNA now. Mm-hmm. So they keep Moose on them. They keep the name, which is smart. They're not changing them around. So I mean, does it take this business where you change things and when it's smart where you don't change things? When I, I remember, the, yeah, the last kind of guys to get their names changed where we talked about, like, Finn Balor, Hideo Tommy, But after that, you know, I was shocked when Shinsuke Nakamura came in as Shinsuke Nakamura. Like, same gimmick, same name, everything. Like, I was, he's one of my favorite uh, current uh, guys that they've got. Ditto. I mean, Okada's got such a sweet drop kick. Yes. And I think, I hope he stays in Japan because of the main reason TNA did him wrong. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. And I hope he stays there because he he's going to keep New Japan strong. Just his, his own personality there will keep them strong. He doesn't need to leave. Because if you have strong wrestling in Japan, you'll keep wrestling strong around the world still. And they do a good I job. Think, I hate to see all these guys also start leaving these places and just go to WWE because I think there's nowhere else to go. I'd be worried about if I was WWE and had to leave, where else are you going to go? Right. Right back. Great guy, I guess. I don't like him. I mean, I met him one time, did a friend of mine wrong business-wise. So, I mean, I'm not going to say I don't like him. I just don't know him, and I don't care to worry about knowing him. But I don't see him being a well-versed talent to be able to get in the ring and work with a whole bunch of other people. Right. Maybe he will. Maybe he can prove a lot of people wrong and keep doing if he wants to keep on wrestling, go somewhere and work. But you've got to be able to work in so many other places. It's not just going to be all, you know, feed me more and go pound a guy. That will, that will work for a match or two. But when you got to start getting involved with other guys who really know what they're doing, that's why I say, I tell people it takes 10, 15 years to really, really learn this sport, to really, really learn this industry, to really learn the, the psychology, to learn your character, to learn everything about it, to do promos. You know, you, you look at some of these guys, Dean Ambrose has been working for a long time and did some crazy stuff from what I've heard, from yeah. what I've seen, to get where he's at now. But he's learned. AJ Styles can get through with anybody and elevate them. Anybody. And make them look great. Anybody. And I'm great. Chris Jericho can get through with every everybody and have a great match. It takes there's very few guys that can do that. But can you know, some of these guys can can think they're getting the ring with Okada and have a great match. Maybe. You know, some of these guys right. might have to leave WWE and maybe look for work elsewhere. Drew Galloway is incredible. Oh, yeah, he's looking great. he's actually lucky he left WWE. If he was still there, he would be such a shell of himself because he would not have learned how, what else to do. Because some guys get in the ring. If you go in the ring with one thing that you got going, if you have plan A and that's it, 
what happens if something else happens? You know, we're, and we're like, well, I love some bad hands. And every time bothered him, I cracked a couple of ribs within the first two, three minutes of a match. We're a main event. 4,000 people in an average time ballroom. They're going to quit. They're going to throw X up and leave. We kept going. And we kept going because Rob knew how to work his character. He knew how to slow things down. Had a referee who didn't panic. I didn't panic. I caught my breath. We kept going. We didn't miss a spot. We, we worked them a little slower. We worked a few things a little different because... I would do something drop to my knees and sell the side of the ribs being hurt because I was shooting curtains. But we made the match work and he took his uh, five-star five fast for the finish. So you, what we learned how we knew how to work around me being hurt in a match in front of a live crowd. You know what I'm saying? In front of a hostile, rabid ECW crowd. We knew how to work. We knew how to cover. We knew what we were doing. Some of these guys now that, unfortunately, if plan A don't work, they're not going to know what to do when plan B comes around. Or plan C might have to go to. Or, God forbid, you got to go to plan Z if everything is really stinking it up. Right, and that's where I think someone like like a Ryback might have some trouble. And, like, I, and, and I, and I, 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 I just say him basically because he has been stuck in, in the same mode. Right. Like, I give Goldberg a lot of credit. If he ever wants to do certain things, he still goes out and trains MMA and Black Belt. Uh, I think some jiu-jitsu stuff he's been doing, I've been talking to him about. So if he ever stepped into a ring, he'd have to get the rust off of him from run the ropes. But he wouldn't be a stiff character or a stiff person trying to work a different style of match. You know what I'm saying? He'd be yeah. able to, he's flexible enough physically to be able to do a few other things because of his training that he kept going outside of wrestling. There's some guys that do that. Some guys that have that ability. I mean, I when I wrestled Ric Flair on the Tons of Times, we, the only thing we would call would be a finish. Everything else we'd call the ring. And is that is that the kind of match where you just, you just sit back and listen? Flair, Flair's calling well, it? A, a little bit of that. A little bit of listen to him. And he listened to me. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I mean, I remember one match we worked, um, I think it was for, it was down in Orlando. It was either for the Worldwide Show or it was for a Saturday show. We came down there and had Liz and Woman with us. I came up with a finish where I knew I was putting them over with figure four. I said, Rick, can we go into it like this? They got to come back, you cut me off, send me off. I dug something, ate you in a flying floor. Pick them up by the ropes. You're going to count one, two, you put your foot on the rope. I'm going to go into the opposite corner. You get up staggering, holding your face. You fall into the ropes. I fall off the top rope. I leg whip myself across the top rope. Fall into the ring. Start selling the knee. You grab the leg. Go for the figure four. Put it on me. And you win. Flair goes, I love that. Wow. What else do you want to do? Oh, that's a hell of an honor right there, too. Wow. You know, and the thing was, we didn't tell anybody else how we were going into the finish. So I were for him, one, two, and, and then you watch on the tape if it still exists anywhere. But um, I covered him. The match goes to the referee. I go up to the top. Rick falls 
rough, I fall and I lay with myself. And you see Liz and Nancy on the outside. And they went, oh my God. They had legit shoot reactions. Then you just get hurt. And when you're working the talent that's with you outside, outside the ring, you know, you feel good. Then Patrick got to his Scott, are you okay? Yeah. You son of a bitch. That's <laughs> what so he said to me. You son of a bitch. <laughs> So it keeps you looking that strong. Was, and that was the respect he gave me. But also, I can still remember the match because at the beginning of the match, we took on each other. He stopped and stuck his hand out. He shook my hand. I was like, wow. I said, I said, I love you, Rick. And he just smiled. He said, you know? And so, you know, that's, that's when we lock up. I said, I pulled the corner. Chop me, chop me. One, two, one, two. He chopped me once. I punched him once. Chop me once, I punch him once. Chop me once, I punch him once, I punch him twice, takes him up. That's what we call it. We're going to the opposite spectrum of a match of GDP. We would lay out the entire match every step of the way. That works good for him to a bit, but if you forget something, he's on your case about forgetting. Or if he, heaven forbid, he forgot something. What the fuck are we doing? What the fuck are we doing? Was uh, I heard Randy Savage was was that way as well? Called everything beforehand. Um, I never really got to work with Randy. I mean, Randy Steamboat in a WrestleMania three match, which is my favorite match ever, ever professional wrestling. Uh, one of the best ever for sure. But what I heard that, that was their whole their whole scenario was that he had every move, everything listed, almost like a book, like a playbook. Well, Scotty, man, I wish I could talk to you all night. I've got, I've kept you here for two hours, man. I, I'm gonna let you go. Uh, I'm gonna leave on, on the, the Ric Flair and Randy Savage note, and, I, I, man, I, I can't thank you enough for this I was time, about man. To ask you, yeah. Uh, I, was, I was seriously about to ask you. Are we actually doing a podcast, or you just call me by your house and start shooting shit with me? I'll be in touch, man. All right, see you. Peace out, brother. See you, brother. All right, and that will do it. That has been part two. The final edition of my conversation with Scotty Riggs. Once again, thank you to Scotty for coming on to my podcast. I really appreciate it. And thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, my handle is at now underscore world underscore order. That's at N-O-W underscore W-O-R-L-D underscore O-R-D-E-R. At now underscore world underscore order. And please subscribe to this podcast. Please rate and comment as well. It helps the podcast out a lot. And thank you once again for listening, and I will be back soon.